0: Welcome to another episode of From Concept to Company. On this show, we dive in deep with current and aspiring entrepreneurs to learn about their pain points, things they wish they knew before they started, and their successes to date. This week, we're excited to have Meredith Holly, a lawyer, life coach, and founder of Eris Conflict Resolution, where she helps employees stop toxic work environments without losing their jobs. Meredith, thank you so much for joining us virtually today. I'm so excited to have you and share all of your valuable information with our listeners.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah,
0: absolutely. So for all of our listeners that aren't familiar with you, tell us a little bit about what you're doing right now, and then I want to dive into how you got to where you're at today.
1: Yeah, totally. So what we do in my work is we help you, it, usually individual employees who are experiencing toxic workplace cultures, sexual harassment is our main focus. We've had a lot of clients lately experiencing race discrimination, uh, disability discrimination, any kind of situation like that. We help them navigate those, those issues while they're still working so that they can stay in careers that they love. What we found uh, through statistics and research is that You see, folks with marginalized identities be encouraged to leave their work environments if they experience harassment at work. And then what you see is uh, a lot of folks with marginalized identities moving from job to job to job, losing seniority, uh, like kind of forced out of careers, even uh, because of toxic work environments. And so instead of solving the work environment, we're saying, well, you could go find another job. There's this uh, term for it that's career refugee now. And it's become such a problem that after Me Too, they did uh, they did some surveys. And, and what the surveys basically found was that one in five women has left a career because of sexual harassment, which is just a huge number. So we try to encounter folks while they're still working help them stay, help turn the work environment around. And and what we find is that really helps everybody. It helps the employer. Um, no one is harmed by folks being able to stay in jobs that they're really good at. If things don't work out, I also am still a lawyer. And so we we do litigate wrongful termination cases as well.
0: So that's quite the jump. Tell us a little bit about how you went from lawyer to this
1: career role what you're doing right now yeah yeah so I like really early in my legal career sort of straight out of law school I got my dream job at a civil rights law firm and I I sort of was in this position where I was like I didn't think it was possible for a new lawyer to get this amazing job I was so grateful for it and um I was I was helping women with sexual harassment cases. I was litigating traditional sexual harassment cases. And the problem was that I was being sexually harassed by my boss at the same time. And for me, this was a a really humiliating experience. I was, I was like, I'm the person who's supposed to know how to solve this problem, but I don't know how to solve it. And I went to other employment lawyers and I was like, okay, I know how if somebody gets fired I know how to file a lawsuit for them, but how do we teach them how to like, in my example, get somebody to stop touching them every day at work. And what I found over and over was employment lawyers just said to me, we don't know how to do that, but um, if folks get fired, you know, like, and for me, they were like, you know, you could quit your job. Um, you could go look for another job, but there wasn't really another comparable job for me. Like I, this was, this was the job. If I was going to do something similar, I would have to move, definitely move to another city. And like, I don't even know then if I'm leaving. uh, Such a well-regarded organization. There are going to be questions about it. It definitely would have impacted my career. So it was more than a year of experiencing harassment. And I, I, at this point I was, like walk into work every day. And I was listening to podcasts like this one. And I could hear the sound of my heart beating over the sound of the podcast because I was having panic attacks while I was walking to work. I was just so afraid every day. And so eventually I found a podcast that really turned things around for me. And what it said was that our thoughts create our feelings. And I was like, no, that's 100% incorrect. My boss touching me creates my feelings. And then the more I thought about it, the more I realized that logically it was my thoughts that were creating my sense of panic. And that's not to say it was unreasonable for me to panic, but that really let me see that there were other ways that I could encounter the situation in a more empowered way for myself and not give up about it. And that's what I did. And ultimately, my um, the man who was harassing me apologized and stopped touching me. And we worked together safely for a number of years after. I got a life coach certification. And I started implementing what I learned with my clients and really saw them able to testify more clearly if they did have a lawsuit or able to turn things around in their workplace if they didn't want to file a lawsuit. Most employees their worst nightmare is filing a lawsuit against their employer. So uh, being able to give folks tools to to handle situations like this, really, we've seen a ton of success. And what, what a lot of folks say is like, well, it shouldn't be on, and, and I felt like this too, and I think this is super valid. It shouldn't be on the person being harassed to turn the things around. It shouldn't be our obligation to, um to solve a work environment and I think that that's totally true and I think that if for folks who are in those situations we we do have a duty to our careers we do have a duty to ourselves to be safe and so the more skills we can have to keep ourselves safe I think it doesn't mean that it's fair but it also is crucial to where we are in culture right now.
0: What a story, first of all. I mean, just take a second to, to say that. it's It's wild how many people I've talked to, just not on the podcast, but just over the years, that have gone through these terrible scenarios that they never should have been placed into, and they're able to take that and grow and then help others prevent that from happening in the future without going into too much detail. And so first, I just want to just wow (laughs) I don't I don't have uh,
1: yeah
0: I'm like speechless right now as you can tell um I'm so thankful that people like you exist to help others that are going through these
1: thank you I mean it's our pleasure yeah I I think um I have a, a small team with me now and I think that we just like we hear these stories every day a lot of folks come to us and they say you're going to be shocked that in today's age, this is happening. And I'm like, you're not going to, sh- you're not going to shock me. I am not going to be shocked. I'm sorry to tell you. And, and I think that we've all been taught that it's too scary to talk about these issues, especially uh, race, especially sexual harassment. it's anything to do with sex or with our bodies, like mental uh, and physical disabilities, all of these, characteristics that we've stigmatized in culture we have such a hard time talking about them anyway a lot of times that then thinking about getting help in one of these areas can be really difficult and I think the fact that I can say oh I I may not understand exactly what's going on with you but I do know how terrifying it can be to be in a workplace culture that's really abusive I think helps folks a little more comfortable talking about their experiences
0: definitely so most of our audience is entrepreneurs or people thinking about Mm -hmm. starting their own business maybe they're in a situation where they're in a work environment that didn't have the right workplace culture Mm -hmm. or something happened and they decided to start their own business or there's business owners that really want to prevent anything from happening what's some pieces of advice that you might have for them
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, what I see for some folks who are starting businesses after they've experienced a work environment problem, I think it can be easy to really push ourselves um, to – be successful and to sell and and do all these very crucial things with business without making sure that we've healed ourselves first. And so sometimes I even see entrepreneurs get into a relationship with their clients where the clients are a new abuser. And this for me was a major issue of why I didn't want to leave my job. I felt like I, I I was running into an experience that was more severe than I had ever experienced before. Most women have experienced like some form of sexual harassment at some point, I think. But um, I think um, like like this one, I, I just was like, I can't solve. This. I don't know how to solve this. I don't know how to do this. And I think that uh, going through the process that I went through was a really healing process and going through like being able to turn the work environment around myself was a really empowering process. And I think sometimes leaving a work environment, starting an entrepreneurial business, starting A different career can be an empowering experience for folks, but I think it's important to take that space and make sure that you do whatever you need to do to heal yourself because we do see these problems coming up again. It's having a boss versus having a client sometimes is not that different of an experience. And so I think whatever folks need to heal and empower themselves after an experience like that or during an experience like that, we all have this pressure to put food on our tables. I think we're like, I need to go sell. I need to go get another client. I need to do this or that. And, or even like I set my impossible goal for my business and um, I need to meet it. We have like, the entrepreneurs are so competitive. I know from being an entrepreneur myself Mm -hmm. and we want to reach our goals. And I think that sometimes we can kind of bulldoze over the fact that our businesses are for us our careers are for us there's not like a point where we're going to get an a plus at the end and then it's going to be worth having just like totally ignored our mental and physical health you know i think that like making space for our mental and physical health while we're in all of these processes even though it's hard is so crucial and i think that that looks different for a lot of different people for me it was for me i did therapy first and then when I felt like I was kind of plateauing with therapy, I went to coaching and that was really what like transformed things for me. It was just like the one little push I needed for things to get a lot better. But for some people it's yoga and for some people it's like church or like we all have a lot of different healing areas and whatever it is for you, I think take time and take space to do that. For, for business owners who want to create healthy work environments, I think that there are really three keys to doing that. The first key is actively like expecting that there is some form of, uh, of, of unhealth, of sickness, of illness in our businesses, in our culture, in our business cultures and making space to allow for that, for the idea of that so that we're constantly moving towards more healing and more health. A lot of times, a major problem that I see business owners run into is they think, if there is a cultural health problem in my business, it means I'm a terrible business owner, my business is awful. And so what we do, like I'm a bad person, even, or I have an evil company, like we think that sexual harassment discrimination only happen at evil companies. And this is like a major myth uh, because really we have a culture that fosters a lot of, of cultural illnesses of discrimination, of harassment. So I think if we can be open to the idea that probably our businesses will have some form of, unhealth at some point just because we live in a culture that has that then we can look for it and we can be actively moving towards health not trying to cover up sickness the second thing i think that folks um that folks can do this is harder for small small businesses like my business hat is like me and two other people. And so it's tougher for me to do this, but I do it in a, in a different way, but it's creating a confidential reporting mechanism, creating multiple ways for people to identify if there is a cultural health issue and, and report it to somebody. Um, the way that I do this in my business is I have a harassment policy that also gives folks the information for our state Bureau of Labor and Industries and the federal EEOC. So, if they need to reach out to talk to somebody about a problem, they know how to do that, um, so that they don't have to do it directly to me. If I if I'm doing something, and then um, the third the third main component that I think folks need to understand is that power dynamics are a huge underlying. Um, reason that we have cultural unhealth, that we have harassment and discrimination, and that our intent and our impact are often very different. And so if we can if we can help empower the workforce to enforce their own boundaries, to advocate for what they want to see in their workplace, and, and empower everyone to learn how to do that, we're all going to be in a better space. So that's a long answer, but
0: <laughs> no, we love long answers here. We are all about those long answers. <laughs> it's perfect. What? Yeah. I, I, it's crazy. Like there are so many clients I feel, especially with startups, they just run and that's kind of, it's, it's something that we talk about a lot. We talked about it on the the last podcast, like entrepreneurship is building the plane on your way down and it's not always intentional that these processes aren't put into place, um, oh, totally. be it a form or ex- whatever it may be. Yeah. And I think that it's so valuable and I can't wait to talk with you off off air about f- figuring out a way to incorporate some of the these best practices into our Action Mavens classes, because I think it's so important for all of those little startups to have, you know, processes in place that allow people to report and allow people to better understand, um, you know, hey, we recognize you. Don't be scared to come talk to us about this. This is who you talk to if this happens or fill out this Mm -hmm, form or mm -hmm. whatever those... suggested processes are. Um, it's really important. And then also as, you know, a small business owner, I launched my agency in 2014. I was just a young girl. <laughs> I didn't yeah. have any, any background. Um, and you know, I didn't graduate with an MBA. I didn't have a background in business. And there were several instances where clients would, you know, Call me on the weekends, yelling or you know texting in all caps for things that were like completely out of our control, like had nothing to do with, with uh, you know what we were doing for work, and
1: panic. You have that panic moment of like, I've done something terrible, right?
0: Yes, yes. And then it took Uh, it took a network of people around me to be like, Ashley, you can't. This is not okay. You don't need to be emotionally abused by people like (laughs) there's boundaries. And so I had to contact an attorney and write it into our contract. It is in our contract that, you know, writing in all caps and doing saying explicit words and doing all these things are, you know, a reason for us to be able to cancel our contract with you with no notice. So don't do it. Um, But it took like even just me having to learn that myself to know, okay, let's, Let's set this up in place. And as our brand grows, I want to work with someone like you or whoever can help me set up the proper ways so that our team members can make sure that they're always protected and that they have a place to go and report anything. If anything were to happen either directly with our clients or somewhere within the company itself, granted, you know, we're all remote, but that doesn't stop anything from happening. Um, It's true.
1: Yeah. I mean, I make my team sign an agreement that they understand that they're never required to listen to somebody yell at them over the phone. We have a lot of, um, a lot of folks with us. It's not usually, um, really directed at us, but so many of our folks have like pretty severe PTSD or, um, other factors that, that put them in like, vulnerable spaces to not be able to understand what's going on. And the legal process is fairly complicated anyway. And so I just always with my people and every once in a while we get, um, we get a lot, you see these like um, folks who want, I had this one guy this one time say he wanted me to represent him in a sexual harassment case because he had been fired for sexually harassing somebody. And I was like, well, did you sexually harass her? And he was like, well, yeah, but it was just like locker room stuff. And you every once in a while you get folks like that when you decline that to represent them that they're very angry. Mm-hmm. And so I just make my, my people sign something saying that they understand that they never have to tolerate abusive behavior. And I still sometimes say to them, like, Do you wanna keep talking to that person on the phone? I think you could you can protect yourself.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's hard like with COVID too in communication, even just people won't mean to come off a certain way and you have to step back and yeah. go, okay, uh, let's hop on the phone. Cause I think we're just missing paths here. Like let's, let's yeah. figure it out. And it's teaching staff even to understand conflict resolution to prevent it from yeah. going to another level. Just totally aside. I feel like I, I pivoted that conversation a little bit, but that every business I feel like could really benefit from having a team or a consultant come in and just help them figure out common practices and
1: yeah yeah and we love to do it I mean what I see my main our, our main training right now is called cultural health impact training and it has uh three pillars of what we teach employees to empower them in order to what ideally you can create is a self-enforcing, healthy work environment where everybody is working towards something positive and contributing by actually doing their work, right? And not distracted by all of these problems. And you don't see this very often, but, but, um, but we teach folks like advocacy based in clear boundaries, what boundaries are and what they're not and what it means to build allies in your workplace. And then we teach thought management through an impact. We call our tool impact the impact model um, of understanding whether you're intent and your impact are actually aligned with each other and then focusing on clear measurable outcomes for every person in the work environment and i think that if you have those three things we really see people come to us and they're like yeah 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 i i know what boundaries are yeah yeah, yeah. and then we teach it to them and, and they're like wait a second why have i never learned this and that was how i felt when i learned it i was like i should have learned this in in middle school i'm pretty sure like everyone should learn these things in middle school and we just don't unfortunately. It's
0: so. it's crazy how little we learn um about yeah. life itself in in school and it's yes. it's mind-boggling cuz we graduate and we're like wait, what? How did what how was this not
1: You want me to buy my own food now? <laughs> I don't know how to do that.
0: <laughs> uh so um. I want to touch a little bit about this you you have mentioned that you also are a life coach tell me Mm -hmm. a little bit about that
1: yeah so that's that's basically what we do in the training so life coaching and life coaching is um basically helping it's like a it's not therapy uh because it is based in helping folks be future focused and accomplish goals. And so I think therapy can be hugely valuable and it's just a separate tool than what we do. Because for, for me, I spent a long time in therapy. And then at some point I was like, okay, I've, I've told this story over and over and over again. And I've reflected on it and I understand what my story is. And so what's the next step to like change what my life story is, or I didn't know that at, at the point, but I was like, what's the next step to feel better? Basically, <laughs> like, how do I feel better? I understand what, what my past traumas are and what, what has caused them. And I've embraced that. And I processed a lot of feelings. And I don't want that to be the definition of my life. So uh, life coaching basically helps folks take a look at what their ex internal environment is and their internal environment and understand that their external experience can be different than their internal experience and there's always something you can shift to make a bigger impact and get the results that you want and feel better and the thing that you shift is your thinking so it helps you shift your thinking which a lot of folks I resisted this at first because I really don't appreciate a lot of pressure to be positive. Obviously I'm a lawyer and so I'm like, lawyers are kind of taught negative thinking. Mm-hmm. And I think there's value in negative thinking. And I, I was always like, don't tell me to be positive. And so the thing I like about life coaching is it it helps you not necessarily choose a more positive thought or a more positive mindset but choose an effective one that works for you that gets you the results you want and helps you feel however you want to feel that gives you ownership over your experience instead of feeling like you're constantly victimized by your experience or reacting to, to your external experience of life. The other, the other basic tool that I learned through life coaching, honestly, is what boundaries are and what boundaries are not and how to enforce boundaries. And I literally had never learned that in my life. Before I went through coach training and so it was like mind blowing to me, but I think that some folks understand really clearly what boundaries are and how to enforce them. And other people like me were sort of taught you ask for your boundary to be respected. And then if it's not respected, then it's a crisis and you like, there's nothing you can do. And so what I learned about boundaries through life coaching was more, about how we can enforce our boundaries and we can expect other people to be abusers, to be boundary violators, and to take those actions to violate our boundaries. But that doesn't mean that we allow our boundaries to be violated. There's always something that we can do to create a consequence that makes things safe for us, even if we expect somebody to not understand how to respect boundaries.
0: I love that. I think, you know, there's too little talk about, thankfully, it's become more popular, but I still feel like it's not popular enough, um, life coaching versus therapy. And granted, like you said, therapy is great. It's incredible. But being able to take those actionable steps and understand and move forward, I think is really powerful. And there's just so many situations that We'll find ourselves in as entrepreneurs, be it business related or personally related from a Facebook message of someone psychoanalyzing you and like, or, you know, trolls on social media and all this stuff and better understanding, like how to empower yourself and respond and move forward, I think is extremely valuable because even though not directly related, I will find myself like I'm an INFJ in the 16 personalities for anybody that Uh follows that. Um, I am
1: too. That's
0: yeah, funny. that's so fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I will, like, someone will say something negative or have some sort of yeah. opinion on something, and I'll think about it like a thousand times over when I You'll- should be thinking about yeah. something else. And I yeah. just
1: and i think there's a balance between and i think especially for infjs we want to consider all the input right like we want to listen to our intuition and and listen to our external environment but but i think for me what i needed to learn was a system for separating out when i did want to be open to my external environment and when i wanted to just move on <laughs> and then i get to choose that it's huge
0: Yeah. Uh, Wow. Um, Deep breath there for me personally, reliving um, all those fun things. So did you know your whole life that you wanted to be a lawyer or tell me a little bit about how you got to get to that point? Because we dove a little bit into you starting the business that you're in now, and how life mm-hmm. coaching and your past experience pairs together. But I'm always so interested, just because I did a 360. Right, like I thought I was going to be mm-hmm. in healthcare field my whole entire life, and then I ended up in marketing. So I always find it really yeah. interesting how people got to where they're at, where they're sitting in their chair today.
1: Yeah. So um, my dad was a lawyer. And so I always wanted to not be a lawyer because my dad was a lawyer. (laughs) And, um, and it's funny because my dad was even a labor and employment lawyer and I'm an employment lawyer now. So, um, so who knows? I don't know. I should have, I should go back to therapy for that probably. Um, but I was raised in a religious cult when I was from like age six to 10, And one of the main core beliefs of the cult was that women are evil. Mm -hmm. And so we like genuinely believed that, like that there's like a root of evil in women that they can overcome by being subservient to a man. And, And it was like pretty openly taught, like it wasn't like a lot of folks that I talked to were kind of shocked that anyone would believe that. But I think being raised in that atmosphere where it was very openly taught we then left the cult and we started going to um, more mainstream churches and you see a lot of similar teachings that are just kind of um, hovered over or made sound a little nicer in mainstream culture, not just church, but like I saw it a lot in mainstream churches. And so I got very good. I mean, I didn't get very good. I was like raised to be very good at identifying statements that are, Kind of anti women. And it wasn't until I went to college that I ever was told that, like, this is the first time I ever heard the idea that feminism was not about men. It was about how women could be okay, also, like that women were not evil. And in college, I was like, I don't know, maybe I'm a feminist because I kind of think that women are not inherently evil what do we think about this? And my roommate had gone to high school with me and she, um, she was raised in the LDS church. And so she had a, a lot of conservative values around what women's place was also. And so both of us had this sort of crisis of like, I always was told that feminism was about hating men, but now I guess it's not about that. What What's going on here? And so for us, that was a major turning point. And then it was like, what else have I ever thought or been told that like, just isn't correct? Or like, what could I believe? What could I learn about and believe that's different than how I was raised? So I ended up, I did Peace Corps after college, and I worked for a law firm as a legal assistant. I worked for a law school in the admissions office. I sort of like, Danced around legal stuff for a while, but ultimately I was working as a legal assistant and I was like, what if I'm smart enough to be a lawyer? Like, do you think, like, because I was pretty bored and it was like pretty routine work. And as a legal assistant, you do like a lot of the work for the lawyer often and you don't get paid (laughs) what the lawyer gets paid. So I was like, what if I'm smart enough? And then I thought, well, I'll probably fail out of law school, but it'll at least be challenging. And I decided to apply and I studied for the LSAT and I got a good score on the LSAT. So I was like, maybe I am smart mm-hmm. enough. I don't know. Who knows? How do you know if you're smart enough to go to law school? And I went to law school and I ended up being in the top four students in my first semester. And I was like, oh, I think I overshot my effort a little bit because I was like, so convinced I was gonna fail out of my first semester and then our joke was always um when I first was going to law school that if I went to law school I might have to be a lawyer someday which I still was like I don't want to be a lawyer (laughs) I don't want to be a lawyer and then then I got sort of more involved in like I ended up clerking at a trial court and I was like oh trial is fun like juries are fun um and like really loved the judges that I worked for. And yeah. And I, I mean, I think that I, I sort of, you know, when you go to law school, the joke is always that everyone goes to law school wanting to help people. And everybody comes out of law school, like working for a big tobacco company and really jaded and with hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt. And so like you go in wanting to help, and then you, you come out contributing to harm, you know? And I've sort of always taken the stance that I think that law can solve problems instead of creating more problems. And that's not what every lawyer uses their license to do, but I think it's been possible for me. And that's been the inspiring thing is really seeing people get help and seeing their lives change.
0: First of all, Incredible background. I love that. I um, can't tell enough of our listeners to not listen to your inner voice that tells you you're not smart enough or you're not good enough because you are. Yeah. Repeat that again. You are smart enough and you are good enough and you can do it and you just have to put your mind to it. I think just women or whoever we are, a lot of our background has given us this story it's like it's re it's it's trying to write our story for us you're not good enough you can't do it be it like a negative home environment or just your surroundings and not seeing other people succeed around you it's so easy to get wrapped up in it and for our voices to say we're not smart enough or we're not good enough i I've been through it I had um I had a, f- a family member that was like you're not smart enough you'll never graduate from nursing school, Mm -hmm. blah, 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 blah. Granted, I didn't end up wanting to. It had nothing to do with my grades. I changed careers, but she was saying that to me back when I was in middle school and high school, because I was like, Determined. I was the little girl with the stethoscope and dolls, and it was all doctor, you know, playing doctor yeah. and playing nurses. And I was like, this is what I'm going to do. And I was so determined to do it. I had my um, first responder certification and CNA certification before even graduating high school. I was working interning at one of the tra- tra- trauma centers in Orange County like went to school to start getting so my nursing cool. degree, worked like 16 positions at the hospital. I kept walking into the director of nurse's office and I was like, okay, I'm ready. Like what's next? <laughs> and she kept increasing yeah. me while I'm going to nursing school. And then just one day it was, it was, some, it, it just kept hitting me that I was never satisfied and that it it was very traumatic dealing with patients that were dying every day. And I was constantly yeah. surrounded by nurses who were negative and didn't wanna continue CPR because they were determined that, you know, that person didn't wanna live because they're 300 pounds or this person's a pain pill seeker. And I was like, I can't be around this negative environment anymore. Like it's it's very toxic. Yeah. And so yeah. I got out of the medical field, but like those l- inner voices can really disrupt the path that we're destined for and that we can make and build for ourselves. And so for all of you guys listening, just a reminder are good enough and you can do it if it's what you really want to do
1: yeah and I think for me it whenever I engage with that voice and I'm like shut up shut up shut up then I I get super obsessed with it and like have to look at all the evidence am I smart enough am I not smart enough and do I know enough yet do I have enough certificates yet to do this thing and then what I found is if I say okay like that's one opinion brain thank you for offering it to me what if I am and what if I'm willing to fail trying it I think that's the hardest part like for me with law school I was like I, I couldn't be like yes 100% I'm smart enough to graduate from law school but I just thought what if I am like maybe I am and I'm willing to fail to find out and it sort of quiets the voice and let's let's and you don't have to argue with it anymore, you know? Mm. I love that. Yeah.
0: So for, I'm, I'm actually looking at your Instagram right now, reading all these inspirational quotes that you have. And I just wanted to give you totally off topic, a little shout out you have. <laughs> Intuition is always right in at least two important ways. It is always in response to something it always has your best interest at heart, Gavin mm. D. Becker. And I was just like, oh, I love that.
1: Yeah. I think I think it's important, like, in when you're thinking about those two different things, when you're thinking about the voice that says, don't try because you might fail. You're not smart enough. You're not good enough, right? And when you think about that feeling in your body that's like, reacting to your environment that you do trust i think it's really important to separate out what those two are because i think a lot of times folks confuse the negative self-talk with their intuition and intuition is really different intuition there's always a possibility intuition is always on your side you know
0: yeah i i i <laughs> okay yeah. let's like let's <laughs> analyze this let's break it apart um but to, to listen to your heart and your intuition is, I, I love these intuition quotes. I was reading, reading a few of them on here. Yeah. yeah. So one thing we ask every guest is, if there was one thing you wish you knew before you started your company, what would it be so that our listeners can learn from you? Um,
1: yeah. So- I always think... I always think with that, and this is true for so many lawyers, we really get it drilled into us in law school that basically law school doesn't teach you how to be a lawyer, so you have to work for other people first. And I think particularly with women, I see so many women lawyers be really afraid to go out on their own because they think, I just need to sit through one more trial watching somebody else do it. I just need a few more forms. I need to go through this process one more time and and learn a little bit more and get one more certificate and one more place where I'm an expert and I think waiting to to have somebody else tell you that you're the expert instead of knowing that you're the expert really can waste a lot of time and I sort of look back at myself and I I learned a lot in working at the courts and I learned a lot working for a firm for multiple firms and I also think there was a lot that i already knew that i probably could have done it earlier <laughs> you know <laughs> like i think that we don't have to wait for everyone else to tell us we're the expert before we own that we can go and offer something to the world
0: mm, i love that i love that little piece of advice um one thing I've always been curious about, we're going to do this on air live. <laughs> One thing I've always been yeah. curious about is when you go to law school, do they give you any sort of advice as far as starting your own practice or are you just kind of having to figure it out in, on your own? Is there any sort of resource for that? Uh,
1: my experience was no, uh, I think that that's changing because of the economy and because um, it, it So it used to be that lawyers were considered a, quote-unquote, professional occupation. And what that meant was that there were a lot of restrictions around any kind of marketing. Basically, any kind of marketing was against ethical rules. Um, and so that sort of made it so that folks who who naturally were really good at networking, succeeded in their practices, and folks who were not really struggled. And then you establish these really like, long-time, well-established firms uh, where of folks working together. And it's kind of hard to break into that in especially smaller communities when there's already really established people there, unless you have some kind of business expertise. And I think that a lot of law schools are realizing this and realizing that there's no business training in law. Uh, uh, some folks will go get a ma- an, like an MBA and while they're getting a law degree so to better prepare themselves to either work in the business world as a lawyer or to start out as an entrepreneur and, and start their own law firm. But I'm always advocating. I mean, I hired a business coach and I learned basically the MBA stuff and business stuff from the business coach when I was going out. And I think if I hadn't done that, I mean, one, I learned skills that I did not have. Like I did, I did not fundamentally at a deep level did not understand marketing or sales like when I first started my business. And I really had to practice and learn and listen and get those skills. And I was not taught that in law school. Now I think some places are trying to be more forward thinking to set new lawyers up for success because I think that that has been a major failing. Um, But I would say what I see in law schools on a practical level versus what I learned in hiring a business coach are wildly different. And hiring a business coach was like one, like partly the key to my business being successful in learning these skills and partly I had to like invest in my business to take it seriously because right when I left my firm, like when I ultimately left uh, the firm I was working for, I left because I, I was like going to become, they were offering me to be on a partnership track and I didn't really want to be a partner. And I suspected that I could make more money, not in the firm. And I wanted to test it out. And Right when I left, I got like three or four job offers at like $20,000 more a year than I had been making at the firm. And it was like very tempting to just go work in another space as a traditional lawyer. I didn't, though, because I had invested in the business coaching and had invested in the business. So I think lawyers are sometimes resistant to that idea because it seems newfangled. And like lawyering is like old fangled and we're like, we're a profession. We don't learn about business. But really, I think that that ends up disadvantaging a lot of new lawyers. And I think that we can do better.
0: I completely agree. I know so many that, you know, graduate and feel that they have to join a practice and then they're getting, you know, partial partial pay and all that stuff because they're not owning right. their own business and their own practice because they didn't have that background right. and they're like, oh, okay, go back to school, get an MBA to learn this. Or, or you know, right. a lot of people don't even realize it doesn't register that they could hire a coach and they'll try to learn things online on their own. And then it goes to the wayside. I know so many people that have gone through that process. So it was great to hear um, your background and experience. And hopefully, hopefully that's solved in the future with classes, that it's something that's always included. But in the meantime, um, definitely business coaches are an incredible asset to keep you yeah. going in the right direction and keep you on the right pace and all of that other fun stuff. Because um, there's just so much to know about starting a business and especially oh in your industry, t- to your point yeah. regulations and all of that other fun stuff. There's, it's a lot to absorb on top of everything else you're having to do so
1: well and you have to like overcome that ingrained sense that you're gonna die mm-hmm. every day when you start your business you <laughs> know, like like, I built a website. Why is no one paying me? Am I going to die today? Yes. <laughs> like, and so I think you have to have whatever it takes to have that commitment to, like, let your brain tell you you're going to die today and be like, thank you for your information, brain. We're going to keep going. I think that might you might be correct, but I suspect that you might be wrong. Yeah. <laughs> like We might not die today. I think the other thing that I've always heard – And this is a tough thing about implementing any kind of of helpful and accurate business teachings in a law environment is that I think a lot of business, a lot of current information about best practices in marketing and sales changes quite often. And so when you go to a major institution to get that information, you're getting information that's at least five years old. Mm -hmm. So that can be a little tough because they have all those procedures for approving what they teach the curriculum that they teach so
0: yeah it's insane I I um I've been brought in a couple of times to teach as a guest speaker at um, different universities for their MBA program for the marketing classes And I'll go up there and I'll present and I'll talk about Facebook algorithms and best post Mm. times, depending on those particular followers and just really Mm. dive into a ton of stuff. And and everybody raises their hand at the end of the class and they're just so lost. They're like.
1: What are you even talking what? about? Yeah, you're
0: speaking a totally yeah. different language. We did not know any yeah. of this. And I'm like, how are you, how, what?
1: <laughs> like, this is literally what business is right now. But then, like, in six months, it might be YouTube, right? Like, everybody's been talking about Facebook for a while. And then uh, in some business groups that I'm in, they'll be like, okay, what we're seeing in Facebook is this. But, like, YouTube's the new thing that's coming up. or, And you have to, like have some understanding of the, like now lawyers are restricted in some ways with advertising, but in many ways we're allowed to have respectful, clear advertising like any business is. And you just have to, it's a whole second part of what a practice, what a law practice is anymore, I think. And a lot of people don't want to do that. I think that if somebody wants to go work for a firm, I don't, judge that at all I think it can be fine I think it just can be so limiting like when I was leaving my firm I said you know like wanna and, and I was sort of negotiating with them I was I was they like didn't want me to leave and I was like you know here I, I think I could make more money and and here's what I'm seeing numbers wise and like I want to start implementing more the coaching and training aspect of what I'm doing with folks because I'm seeing it be such a pro I mean I had that last year that I worked there I had three clients tell me that they had been suicidal mm-hmm. and that they had overcome suicidal thinking through the coaching work that we did together and I was like you can't you can't overvalue that like that is profound change that somebody's having through just this experiment that I'm trying out that we're not usually offering in the law and lawyers encounter plaintiff side lawyers, especially and like um, criminal side lawyers, we encounter these very vulnerable people who are in massive crisis. And I think we have such an opportunity to make a big, important impact for people. And I think part of that is being willing to learn marketing and sales from a business coach.
0: <laughs> like, for real. One, I will be tr- t- totally honest and transparent. I miss healthcare in the aspect of making a difference. And not to say that I don't make a difference with entrepreneurs. Like, I am, s- w- when a client becomes our client, like, their business might as well be my business. I am determined. I'm putting yeah. in extra hours. Like, I'm like, we're going to make yeah. you successful. This is my new baby. Um, but in healthcare, like... I'd work in the trauma center in an ER, and we'd have children come in, teenagers come in, suicidal, tried to overdose. And I would be assigned that day to sit with them for my whole 12-hour shift to make sure that they wouldn't try to hurt themselves. And, like, I miss that, being able to talk to them and feel like I really made a difference and have patients come back you know, three years later and be like, I'm here. Like, thank you so much. Just wanted to come and say hi or send letters or whatever it might be. Like I miss that so much. Um, but now in, in its own weird little way marketing with my marketing agency, which is my other company for those of you just joining as this first, uh, podcast, um, I do own a marketing agency, Cardi media, and I make a difference in this backwards way of marketing and branding yeah. businesses and helping them rebrand. But, um, I know with action mavens, like, and it's weird backwards way that these courses that we're going to teach through the idea viability stage, building a winning team, talking about, um, you know, proper processes and procedures to make sure that, um, certain things aren't oppressed and and all of this stuff all the way through mergers and acquisitions teaching those classes and make sure making sure that every entrepreneur has the key fundamental 30 steps that they need to plan launch grow and maintain their business like that's my newest passion and i feel like if i can save one entrepreneur from falling on their face or having hundreds and thousands of dollars wasted on legal fees for not doing their trademark research and getting a cease and desist letter. Like, that's my weird way of making a difference. And I'm confident that one day, uh, hopefully that business will be successful and I can move on to another fun new venture, nonprofit or whatever it might be. Um, But I love, like, I wish... Everybody could see my expression on my face right now, like how impactful your story is and what you're doing and how you've catapulted your life into this direction to help those people and the scenarios that they've been through and the processes that you've been able to implement so that. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm, <laughs>
1: like, uh... I, I mean. I think that what you said is exactly right on. I mean, I think sometimes in life, we're called to sit with the person in the worst, like sit next to the person who's having the worst experience of their life, right? And then other times, we're called to make a broader impact that seems more, and I I don't mean this in like, more shallow in the sense of like, meeting people on not that depth of pain you know but i don't mean shallow in the sense of like silly or something like that but i think that the thing that we all that is true of all of us is that we all do make an impact wherever we go and it doesn't have to be sitting next to the person who's in the worst crisis in their lives in order to make that ripple of change towards better health towards um more safety for myself I know like in my business one of the problems that we're solving in my business right now is like I know I can sit with that person in that moment of pain I know that if I take a certain amount of time with my clients I can really see them transform from being folks who hide under the covers when they first meet me because they can't get out of bed because they're so depressed and traumatized to someone who's really taking action in their career even like building a business I do some see some folks doing that Also, and I can see these massive transformations, but then also I want to be able to impact the most people possible. And I can't do that while, like for you, I think this is true too. Like you can't impact the most people possible while you're sitting in a room with one person for 12 hours. Right. But if you are teaching a class on marketing, you don't know what kind of impact that is making on that person and that person's clients and the client's families, right. Like there's such massive impact from folks having these skills. And so I don't want to like downplay the importance of having people who can sit in those times, those suicidal moments, those like PTSD moments uh, with folks. I think that that's really crucial. And what if we could transform our culture enough to where that was less common that we would even need somebody in that space, you know, and I think that like you're saying in a weird way and I I don't want to be trite about it at all but in a weird way like folks learning marketing and sales can move towards that kind of culture
0: yeah yeah it's it's wild I um if you haven't already definitely suggest checking out our very first podcast that aired and we dived into just how crazy life is and how, like, everything that we've been through, obviously, but it's just a nice reminder everything that we've been through has all led us to where we're at today. And, like, without those life experiences, being them traumatic scenarios or just life in general, we literally wouldn't be sitting in the chairs today had we not been through that. And I'm, so thankful for all of the opportunities that I've had to lead me on this path. And I look at, you know, people like Sarah Blakely, the founder of Spanx shout out to Sarah Blakely. One day I'll meet you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> who's a huge inspiration to me because she, yeah. you know, she was selling sex fax machines door to door and she had this idea and she had $5,000 in her bank account and she went for it and she didn't granted you know, steps are great. So don't dismiss action movements after hearing this, but she didn't have any sort of background and she just went for it and she didn't follow, you know, the normal processes. And guess what? She ended up in Neiman Marcus and now she's, you know, a female billionaire with this incredible brand, um, that empowers so many women. And I'm like, okay, that is my goal. I'm going to make a huge difference in this world. I wake up every day and I'm like, I say my little morning mantras, and one of them is, I'm going to make a huge difference in this world, and I'm just set out to do it, and however I can do that and make a difference, I am here, so anybody listening, if there's anything I can ever help you with, please, please feel free to reach out to me, Um, but I just love diving into everybody's stories and hearing what they're up to and learning about how they're impacting the world, and what you're doing is impacting the world, and I think it is so powerful, and it's so needed.
1: Thank you. We, I remember sitting in a, and I was studying with all of my law school girlfriends. We're all in this room and somebody said something about Legally Blonde. And, and then somebody asked how many of us in part went to law school because we saw the movie Legally Blonde. And this is like, we were not, we were adults watching the movie Legally Blonde and every one of us raised our hands <laughs> that, <laughs> that had impacted us. And so I think it's like, you you can never tell the impact that you're going to make of just modeling. And I think for for our culture, being a woman who's going out and doing stuff, that's a revolutionary act even still. And so I think if we can wake up every morning, like you're saying, like you do and say, I am going to make that difference and I'm going to let myself fail in the process if I need to. And I'm going to pick up and I'm going to go out again. I, I don't know. I think we can transform the world.
0: We're doing it. Let's do it. Yes. <laughs> yes. 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 Oh, well, thank you so much. I think that's a perfect note to end on um, before we leave. Is there anything else you would like to share with our guests? Anything they should know where they can check out your website if they want to learn more?
1: Yeah, so we are at erisresolution.com. Folks are welcome to go there. And And I would love to offer your audience a free copy of my second book. I have two books. One is directed towards employees and it's called Career Defense 101. But I was I was thinking for your audience it might be more appropriate to offer them a free copy of um, the book that I have that's more directed towards employers and business owners of how to set up these processes. Um, and it's called The Inclusive Leader's Guide to Healthy Workplace Culture. So it's at healthy And anyone who's watching is welcome to grab a copy of that. It's also you know, available wherever else. If if folks want to print copy, um, it's on Amazon and, but it's at healthyworkplaceculture.com.
0: Okay, perfect. I will link that in the podcast descriptions. You guys can easily click it and get your uh, free copy. Thank you so much for offering that to our listeners. I know they'll find it extremely valuable. Of course. Thank you for having me. Thank you.